This is Dan Figel, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. There's plenty of applications of artificial intelligence that many of our longtime listeners will be familiar with. Fraud detection for payments, for example, chatbots in e-commerce. We've had plenty of vendors, plenty of enterprise leaders talking about those topics, and they're worthwhile because there's a lot of traction there. But I think there's a lot of value in covering AI use cases that people really aren't thinking about. There's tremendous leverage in finding new capabilities that AI can unlock in industries that people really haven't considered yet. And this interview focuses on that. We interview this week Vijay, Vijay Kumaran, who is the Chief Architect of AI and ML at IBM Systems. He's based out in Australia. Vijay is a listener to the podcast here. It's always an honor to have listeners on the show, and he's been with us once before in the past. But this time, we're talking about novel and interesting use cases of AI in elder care. Obviously a booming industry. More and more of the world's population is in the senior bracket literally every single day. Uh, And this is going to be a pressing concern in much of Asia, much of uh, the Western world, and certainly in Australia, where Weejay draws some of his examples. And I think, again, this is a great interview to focus on where AI might be applied in industries people aren't paying attention to, but where there's a lot of value to unlock for customers and a lot of revenue to unlock for companies if they think about AI in a new way. We've recently developed a new report called Finding AI Opportunities in Business, Three Proven Approaches for Success. And this report is actually drawn from interviews just like this, interviews with the head of AI at Square, head of AI at Slack, head of AI at HSBC, about how they find profitable AI opportunities, even if other people aren't thinking of them, in their own business. This new report is going to be on our reports page, that's emerge.com slash reports, at some point later this year, maybe early next year. Maybe it'll be in the $300 or $500 range. But we are giving this report away for free to anyone who joins Emerge Plus between now and Friday. So if you join Emerge Plus between now and Friday, you'll get the Finding AI Opportunities in Business Report, which is essentially a structured set of strategies for finding where AI can add value to your company in any department or any industry. That report, again, is going to be free for anybody who joins Emerge Plus between now and Friday. You can catch it on this page. You can go to emerj.com slash op1. That's OP like opportunity, E-M-E-R-J dot com slash O-P-1. You can find it online at E-M-E-R-J dot com slash O-P-1. That's O-P like opportunity and then just the number one, E-M-E-R-J dot com slash O-P-1. And you'll grab yourself a free copy of our Finding AI Opportunities in Business report along with your subscription to Emerge Plus. And again, this is only available until Friday, so please do check out that link. I hope it adds a lot of value to some of the insights you learn here from Weejay today. I think the superpower that he has for finding new pockets of AI value is something all business leaders should have access to, and that's what we're giving you in that report. But without further ado, we're going to fly into this episode. This is Weejay with IBM here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Weejay, I'm glad to have you back on the program. The world is a very different place since the last time you and I were able to catch up. And I know today we're going to be talking about, for lack of better way to nutshell it, elder care and AI. And I know that rating elder care vendors is something you're working on. Also, uh, predicting Alzheimer's is something you're working on. If you like, we can just hop into these two use cases. Maybe you can explain them for us. I'd love to just dive right in. Good to be back, Dan. Thank you for having me again. So, the first one, Elderly care rating system, bringing a new level of transparency and quality to aged care. So, a bit of background on this. This project I'm working together with a 
startup company. It's an interesting startup that sits within a group of companies that are held together by an architecture company at the center. Uh, they're called Ellie Labs. So a bit of background on why this uh, use case is interesting, particularly in Australia. It's about a $20 billion industry, $20 billion plus dollar industry, about uh, 1,800 businesses serving this industry, a population of about 1.2 million elderly people, and about a quarter of a million people employed in this sector. And that's just Australia, right? Obviously. That's just Australia. Yeah, I mean, uh, the United States is going to be astronomically beyond that. So clearly the global impact here is, you know, there's a lot of old folks out there. Yeah. So so if you look at uh, some of the numbers uh, in this space, it is massive. Uh, typically countries like the US and Australia, you know, have 10 plus percentage of GDP on healthcare. And uh, a large portion of this uh, does go towards elder care or aged care. Yep. So it has a huge impact. So coming back to the use case. So in Australia, there were a number of hard truths that were exposed a few years ago by a royal commission that looked into some of the rots and the gaps in providing care in this uh, sector. Affordability was an issue. Accessibility was another. Service variability was a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. The hidden fees, the associated fees, the hours, the level of care, things like food. Typically, if you were to sum it up, it's a bit like uh, what you get is what you don't see. There's a lot that's hidden. So typically, you know, people look at these things uh, like looking at real estate and they go put their parents into these places and what they get is very different. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Because it's it's not just the house and the kitchen and you know what the view is. There's the service and you, you don't get to eat the food. You don't get to see how the nurses treat people, right? It's very different than real estate. And so it's hard to assess. Is this what you're saying? Yeah. And and very often you, when you have to pick from a few, you'll, you end up picking based on brochures and so on. Yeah. There isn't an independent body that's rating them, like what you get in other industries. Yes. yes. So that makes it difficult, isn't it? So, so out of this came the need to look at uh, how else could this happen? Now looking at it, the COVID situation, it's yeah. even more interesting, you know, what's happening in the world and in Australia, lot many pockets where uh, the disease has broken out has been in some of these aged care facilities. So that again exposes some of the constraints and the challenges that uh, that are there in the system. So the could be kind of state of this is imagine if there is a way by which these uh, different aged care providers could be rated based on a whole bunch of parameters. This is the interesting stuff is what are these parameters? Because it's so, it's, it's tough to grab this as objective data. So yeah, lay it on us. What, what, uh, what might fit into this mix? So typically in the news and social media, there are, you know, lots of uh, information that uh, talks about the level of care, people's frustrations, appreciation to some extent. There are factors like the physical space that's available, dimensions, light, location, how close is it to, you know, a railway line, how close is it to uh, a highway, uh, even things like air quality. 
now being an architectural firm they're also interested in looking at things like uh, the aspect how much sunlight do they get you know is it facing the right direction the ratio of uh, common spaces to uh, individual rooms huh, okay uh, the ratio of uh, kitchen size to other areas so it's a bit like what happens in some of the more advanced industries like you know financial services we were to look at the you know credit worthiness of a customer how many parameters would you look at you know you, you potentially can look at hundreds of oh parameters. yeah easily easily uh, look at hundreds apparently thousands in the case of china uh, so here again there are parameters from different dimensions you know from different uh, modalities that you could look at may not be hundreds but uh, you know whole bunch of them so they kind of span a whole bunch of areas you know from searching through a hell of a lot of text looking at uh, the temporal elements of it to look at over a period of time you know what are people saying about these different care providers and then to give it an index uh, a rating uh, coupled with an index and a rating you could have a list of providers that are favored over some of the others so think of a, a, a search engine where you could uh, put in a bunch of parameters uh, which could be deemed your requirements and uh, it would come up with a bunch of recommendations and and those recommendations would take into consideration 360 degree data from different modalities to give you this rating and eventually the idea is to be able to help these providers lift their game because it will in a way bring that transparency required why are some below the others so there could be services linked to this on the back of this that could help them lift their game improve uh, services offerings etc yeah you know i could see the potential social good i can obviously see the business model right if you're the if you're the accreditation body you know the better business bureau in america is just a private company and you know some people might question you know how they do their scores and it's kind of unfair that they but there's an aggregate good potentially from having a transparency layer and then there's also this strong business model of becoming that reference source for an increasingly important industry now i think the real challenge for me wej and tell me if i'm wrong here is determining the set of features and factors by which we would do these scores and i could imagine someone saying i'm just looking for like we're scoring on what the likelihood of happiness and long life of the resident is this sort of i would imagine that this is the the ideal proxy right there has to be some objective measure of how we're we're winning here in terms of you know how we're we're measuring things i i guess that's the the tough part is what are we optimizing for this feels really hard for ai but i'm interested in your thoughts so longevity and happiness and so on would be uh, i guess you know the ultimate parameters uh, ultimate goals for something yeah. like this however it's uh, it it wouldn't be you know easy to achieve no, uh, no. i i think the, the parameters the simple ones to start with would be things such as you know what are people saying about each of these institutions each of these providers so that speaks a lot because that's going to be that's from social media so that gives you you know a fair amount of a good baseline to start with coupled with that the bodies that specify the minimum requirements for these facilities you know may have a certain you know obviously they do i'm not close enough to this you know would have parameters like minimum space you know certain ratios certain minimum standards 
of cleanliness uh, and so on. Now, air quality would be another. So these all need to be brought in and all these do have an impact on things like, you know, how comfortable does yeah, a resident feel? Yeah, yeah. So these will continue to evolve. And as the parameters, you know, some of them will obviously be, you know, to be, will be made public in the dimensions by which uh, people are measured, etc. But But I guess the secret sauce would be in how they're all brought together, yeah. the ratings and the, uh, the mix of those, etc. So that will continue to evolve. But just even a starting point where there's a common platform to look at each of these, to rate these multiple facilities, that does not exist today. So that is what LE Labs are going after. Yeah, it, obviously, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bold move. It's a bold step here. Are we going to get to a better place than we would if we just had a website where you score them on a zero to five like glassdoor.com? Who knows? But I think the goal would be that if we worked it hard enough, we could be able to get more granular, maybe even more objective, maybe even more accurate than a Glassdoor, you know, rating system could get. I think that's the that's the hope here. Obviously, there's myriad challenges, and I think that's why it would have to evolve. For me, something like cleanliness. How often are we able to get in there with a camera and take pictures? How well are we able to train a computer vision system to know what cleanliness looks like in carpet and shade in tile floors and linoleum? That's tough stuff. Room size. Are we able to correlate room size and setup or kitchen size relative to the rest of things to treatment of patients in some way? Or is this just somewhat of an arbitrary factor here, you know, that we're deciding as a feature for some reason? It's a tough gambit. You bring up an interesting point in one of the discussions I was having with uh, Jason Hornibrook, who's the chief innovation officer of this company, was that, so kitchen size is an important parameter, he says, because uh, that's going to tell you, you know, how much of food is being cooked there, freshly cooked versus how much is being brought in from outside. Yeah. The ratio of uh, people to uh, square meters kind of tells something. Yep. Down the line, being able to even measure things like air quality. Yep, yep. You know, with sensors. Being able to measure activity levels, noise levels. Noise is another important factor. So it would start at something like what you just mentioned, might be a one to five system, which is very rudimentary, and then eventually evolve into something that is more sensor-based, which is based on actual data, and you could, depending on as you increase the number of parameters, you'd be forced to put in more instrumentation, bring in more uh, dimensions, which would improve the quality and help lift the game. Yeah, I I know someone in my family who has one of those, um, Geico gives you like a device that you put in your car so that when you drive, like they'll give you a score and it'll improve or maybe hurt what you're paying for insurance based on that sensor data. And I know that uh, this person who I know, who... Uh, will not be named. They may or may not be related to me by blood, I, I won't say. It happens to put this device in, in their father's vehicle because their father doesn't do very much driving. So it looks very good uh, for, for them. So they, they've kind of gamed the sensor by, by placing it somewhere else. I would imagine if, if I'm an old folks home and you give me some kind of an air quality thing or temperature thing within my facility, I'm going to make sure that that room has got a uh, you know some kind of an air purifier in it uh, no matter how you slice it. So this really feels to me like we're trying to take the most subjective, messy parts of the world, like happiness, like, whoa, yeah, that you're, you're not factoring that into your system because who's surveying them? How often are they surveying them? Unless you get direct access to the old folks at different times a day, like 
well-being, which I think is our net result here, we're not even getting access to that end result. That's hard. That's really, really hard. So this feels extremely ambitious, but it sounds like the goal would be, can we get enough hard facts and enough sensor data to at least get a better proxy of one versus the other in terms of relative score? It sounds like that's the, the aspiration here would be to work towards that. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. The incumbents who are the existing service providers, there isn't uh, too much of a motivation for them to do things too differently. Many hard truths have been exposed as a result of the Royal Commission. Chances are the way we live, the modern world is, you know, we go back into a level of normalcy, which is close to the old state than desired, unless there is a disruption. So uh, I see this as uh, something where the disruptor has to come from an external area. 100%. As, as it is with most industries, can we take something as fuzzy as you're articulating and get ourselves to, to a ranking system? I'll be interested to hear how the project goes because I can, I can see the challenges. But, you know, um, elder care is really important. And I'd say, let's go ahead and take some swings. So it sounds like fun. I know you had another case in this market as well that was sort of an interesting place where AI might be applied. Could you go into that detection of Alzheimer's? I happen to know folks, again, in my own family who've had Alzheimer's. So this is an interesting theme. What's that look like? Okay, so Alzheimer's is, you know, one of the ever-increasing problems that uh, people have to live with. People over the age of 65, you know, as you get older, uh, that seems to be a new reality. Uh, some of the numbers are that, uh, at least for Australia, and I, and I suspect it wouldn't be too different to the US and some of the other parts of the world, one in five over the age of 65 are affected by dementia. Yeah. One in three over the age of 85 are affected by dementia. In Australia, the number is about uh, 425,000 and uh, close to $15 billion is spent in this space. If you look at the size of Australia's uh, healthcare cost, it's about uh, roughly 10% of uh, GDP. That's about $15 billion. This represents 10% of the healthcare cost of our system. So it, it's, it's a big number. And worldwide numbers are that uh, the cost of dim- dementia could be about close to a trillion dollars. Annually? Where we are sitting now, close to a trillion dollars huh. uh, worldwide. So it is an important disease that needs to be tackled. It's clearly only getting more important, right? As more and more of our population is older and older. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, though, there isn't a known cure at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And another hard fact there, which is not very pleasing, is the fact that it is often diagnosed at a late stage. You know, by then it's a bit too late to treat it. It's more of you've got to live with it and do the best you can for those people suffering from it. However, potential good news is that dementia is linked to uh, the buildup of beta amyloids in the brain at an increasing rate. That can be detected uh, by PET scans long before a clinical diagnosis of uh, Alzheimer's is made. That can be detected as early as uh, you know, 15 to 20 years before Alzheimer's sets in. So I'll pause there and tell you a bit about this uh, project. So it's a group of uh, researchers. It's a group of 
very well-renowned uh, people in the field, people, postdoctoral fellows, researchers, uh, looking into Alzheimer's, ophthalmology, etc., kind of uh, working together on this for many years, looking at tackling this. So the idea is that you could predict Alzheimer's disease using AI and ocular biomarkers with smartphones. What if we could predict the early onset of Alzheimer's by looking at some changes, subtle changes that happen you know, in the eye, and you would use AI to uh, detect those. They'll be so subtle that you would need to use AI to use it. What would be interesting is uh, the possibility of uh, being able to uh, deploy this thing very widely using very inexpensive, affordable technology like smartphones. Yep. Now, smartphones yep. are very interesting devices because uh, not only are they getting cheaper, I, mean, I, I can't say that they're getting cheaper. They are expensive. Some of the top-end devices are very expensive. But they are with us. They yeah, are they, having they, more they, and more sensors built into them. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so they are extremely powerful computing sensor technologies that we're carrying around with us all the time. Today, it is possible to put quite a bit of AI inference into these devices, not only AI inference, you could also put a little bit of learning into these devices. You know, Many of these modern phones do have GPUs, they've got uh, edge acceleration capabilities that can be leveraged to do this kind of work. So it's that mix of sensor technology and advancement of AI that is being looked at to look at what little changes uh, through the eye can be captured to detect early changes? Got it. This is pretty close to my heart, actually. One of our first research projects here at Emerge was with the World Bank, which was followed up by a whole bunch of presentations around the world for the World Bank around mobile diagnostics. In our case, though, is the developing world. So we were looking at you know parasites. We were looking at skin diseases. So computer vision being highly involved and smartphones being sort of the mode of delivery. So looking at where their investment areas there was, you know, six months of my life was spent doing interviews and then presenting that kind of that kind of insight. Didn't really go into Alzheimer's in our research, but this is curious. Talk to us a little bit about what happens with folks who have Alzheimer's with regards to their eyes. What are we going to look for here? Um, how are we testing for these things? What's the, the kind of baseline test? Okay. So, Unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to go into too much of details relating to the specific parameters. But I'll start with the eye. So the eye is almost viewed as the window into the body to look for changes that happen. It, the, the retina in particular for a long time has been known to, it's the location for the culmination of multiple vessels. If you're able to look at the retina, and there's quite a bit of work being done, particularly if you look at areas like, you know, diabetic retinopathy, prediction, classification, and diagnosis of uh, diabetic retinopathy is something that is possible by taking a retinal image. This has been going on for quite some time. A number of organizations have done studies on this, and there are handheld scanners, including ophthalmoscopes backed up by AI models that are able to not just uh, only predict, you know, diabetic retinopathy, but uh, macular degeneration, you know, lots of other ailments, including things like hypertension and so on. 
So what they look for with that are things like changes in vessel patterns, slight abnormalities, etc. So that's looking at the retina. But there's a whole bunch of possibilities looking at the eye overall and a whole bunch of other parameters kind of linked mm. to it. Interesting. I, I would really, I thought you were going to talk only about response time. In other words, we would have them watch a screen where a dot would be moving and we would somehow track, because I think motor function to some degree follows these things. And I've, I've heard of dementia sort of diagnostic tools involving speech, for example. Obviously, we, we want something where we can take in some, some data and without doing a laborious, clunky survey, we can sort of benchmark folks based on really hard factors and likelihoods. So I think audio is really interesting here in terms of like asking specific questions and getting a sense of voice and whatever. But of course, that varies a lot. This eye thing is really curious. So you're saying that there's the vessels entering the retina itself might vary depending on, on certain conditions around Alzheimer's and dementia. Are some of the factors also the, the actual response? I mean, without getting into exactly what we're tracking, what the secret yes, sauce is. some of is them here. are response-based. So okay. it, this is, uh, I mean, the reason why this is called multimodal AI is because uh, it's not based on a single modality. Yeah, yeah. Like taking a picture and looking at uh, the back of the retina, it would yeah. involve looking at multiple dimensions, multiple yeah. parameters. And when you look at multiple parameters and dimensions from different modalities, and particularly when many of those modalities based on the human body, those symptoms, those changes exist for a particular reason. They're brought about, you know, due to changes that are occurring biologically in us. Therefore, how do you correlate them? And especially over time, when you start looking at those changes, they mean something. That is what uh, these, you know, these people are looking at. So the reason I brought up the retinal example was just to make a point, not necessarily that that is what's going to be used here. The reason I brought that up is because that is a very well-established area where retinal-based diagnostics is used to predict a number of ailments and issues. Now, this is going beyond that. Yeah, this multimodal idea, obviously it's required for many things, right? I mean, if there was one signal for Alzheimer's, you would just figure it out and then you would just test that, right? There, there's some diseases where we need a blood sample and then that's the end of the story, right? We don't need you to do a handstand. We don't need to ask about your mother's maiden name, right? We're, we're just gonna, we're just gonna use one factor and then that's it. But of course, Alzheimer's, you know, it's complicated neurodegenerative disease. You know, we, we can't take a biopsy of your, you know, your gray matter. That's not going to work well. So what can we do? The use cases I'm familiar with here, Weejay, when we were, you know, doing this World Bank project was detecting cataracts, in which case it was, you know, single image oftentimes of both eyes and, and being able to have some proxy for how likely is it that what we're seeing is going to manifest as a cataract or not, who's at what level of risk. Of course, this is detecting not just an issue with the eye. We're trying to detect an issue with the brain through multiple factors of the eye, which really makes this kind of a very nuanced project here. Correct. Because you can't, taking PET scans, repetitive PET scans, you know, every year, for people who are considered normal, what are the chances of you and me getting Alzheimer's? I don't know. We'd like to think that, uh, you know, we won't, but we would know. Are we going to subject ourselves to PET scans now at this stage? No. No, we're not. So so what you need is something non-invasive. 100%, so yeah. Screening needs to be non-invasive. That's when you can administer this thing to a large population. 
So that's the view here. And that's why the mobile platform and also specifically to be able to take measurements, not necessarily in a testing scenario, but under normal usage of the mobile phone scenario. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you can you can be you don't have to bring someone into an office, right? You can just somebody could be visiting their grandma and they could do this, right? They could if so long as they held it properly, they collect the or the right professional could go in and do it, right? You don't you don't need to bring them into a special center with all these big devices. You can just collect it. Yeah. That's and the and uh, the point about testing over time, I think, is really interesting to see how we're, you know, you could come up with, I imagine, some degree of scores and ranking and rating for all these different multimodal factors. And then you test the same person six months or 12 months later and get a sense of how they stack up across these varied factors. I think that could be really interesting, too. It seems like the challenge, WeJ, to get this off the ground would be to collect enough data from people with and people without Alzheimer's to be able to train all of these different features, these modes, you're talking multimodal, to train all these modes, figure which of them proxy best to the disease itself, and then have enough of that corpus to actually train an algorithm to potentially detect it. It feels like that heavy lifting up front of testing features, collecting enough data on both sides of the fence, that's, I guess, part of the barrier of getting started here. Are there other factors beyond that? Yeah, that's a very valid point. In fact, one of the requirements uh, for this project, uh, for this proposal, was to uh, find a large enough existing data set and also find a, uh, a university hospital that has got access to a reasonable sized population of people with whom some of these baseline tests could be undertaken. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that definitely is the challenge because we've got to do the hard work of thinking about what these features and factors are. We need scientists. We need we need people who really understand the disease. And then we've got to collect it. So it sounds like you've got some work ahead of you, but it also sounds like hopefully it could be the kind of application that, that can make a real impact. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, the, the group of people behind this uh, with whom I've worked in the past, they are scientists and they are medical yeah. professionals uh, who Certainly. have uh, worked in similar areas relating to kind of ocular biomarkers and so on, retinopathy and so on. So they're well versed in this field of remote medicine, even in the field of uh, machine learning, etc. So the multimodal AI is something that is uh, kind of unique to this that is uh, expected to make a difference. I could certainly see the value in it. And I, I, I see this as a much more bounded space than the first example, to be honest, and also one where we can have some real proxies as to the result, you know, if someone has the disease or not. So yeah, there's a lot of excitement around this this project as well. And hopefully some of these ideas for the listeners tuned in, I know we're coming right up on time, for listeners tuned in, hopefully this has opened some of your minds as to where and how AI can fit into really novel and new use cases. Uh, we, Jay, I am Grateful to have you as a listener, number one. And as always, just like last time, I'm grateful to have you as a guest. This has been a lot of fun, and I appreciate you jumping back on with us. Pleasure, Dan. Thank you. So that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you heard here, be sure to stay tuned on social. You can find us at, at EMERJ on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook, and you'll stay tuned for all of our newest interviews, all of our articles and infographics 
anything new that we come out with, you'll get it before even the folks in the newsletter get it oftentimes. So that's just at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter. And again, if you're interested in getting access to our Finding AI Opportunities in Business report, having a structured set of strategies for figuring out where AI can add value to your business workflows in absolutely any industry, again, this report is going to be available from somewhere between three and $500 in Q1 of next year or potentially late this year. You can get that report for free. EMERJ.com slash OP1. That's OP and then just the number one. Uh, and that's available from now until Friday when this special launch event ends. So if you're interested in getting in on that report at EMERJ.com slash OP1, check it out there. Otherwise, stay tuned on social and we'll catch you here for Thursday's Making the Business Case episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. 